as I welcome you to today's episode. Juicing the numbers, your statistics, and sports. And I'm Corbin Heller. And we have gone through great trials and tribulations to bring this show to tonight. Uh, so you sons of bitches better be appreciative out there of all the hard work Corwin and I put into this show. Oh, uh, <laughs> anyway. something. It was pretty, pretty brutal. Self-congratulations. Self-patting oneself on the back aside. Um, yeah, so it, we are in the midst of the World Series. The Dodgers took game one in loud fashion. Uh, they lead the Rays. It's 8.47 p.m. here on the East Coast on a Wednesday, October 21st. And as it stands, the Rays are currently leading the Dodgers this time. Uh, so we'll see how that, that game, this game shakes out. By the time this episode airs, you'll already know how it shakes out. But we will not. Um, we are living in the past. Um, you know what we should do? We should down. commit crimes. Ooh, time, time crimes. That's a reference. Hashtag big screen juice. The best, the best movies review podcast of all time. The only yeah. movie review podcast of all time. Yeah. Well, that's not true, but we can pretend like. It. Uh. All right. Well, um, so, yeah, there's nothing to really say about it yet. You know, the Dodgers hit a bunch of home runs. The Rays didn't hit as many home runs. Why did Kevin Cash leave Tyler Glasnow out so long? There's nothing to really say. Um, Dodgers spanked the Braves, ultimately. So, well, not really spanked. They won by one run. Um, so, actually, not spanked at all. It's literally the least amount you could win by. Uh, so, yeah, there's nothing to, ain't nothing to really say yet in the world of baseball. So, that leaves us with the only other sp- still in his regular season uh, and playing games that we have to talk about our our nation's British pastime in some ways football um, the season has not yet ended it's 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 still trying you just um, fans are already uh, trying to figure out when the season ends wishing for it to happen oh Jets fans can't do that much math um, so before we get too far um, I want to to, to ask you about um, something I've been seeing a lot on Jets Twitter that I just do not understand, which is people saying that the Jets should hang on to Adam Gase throughout the rest of the season to helm the tank for Trevor Lawrence. Um, do I, don't, I don't honestly, um, at, to a certain degree, I kind of get it. I really do. It's. It's something where Adam Gase is a certain lock to be unable to get this team to rebound from the start that they're on. And we've seen Jim Bob Cooter, who would be the presumptive offensive play caller, succeed in, you know, that context, the context of, you know, being a play caller with a young you know, talented, naturally talented QB. We've seen Greg Williams take over as an interim coach and succeed and win games with a quote-unquote hopeless franchise. I could see how the Jets' ownership would be nervous about this team actually being able to fuck up enough to win a game and they screw themselves out of 
Trevor Lawrence. I get it. I really do. Um, I don't know if it would be the decision I would make just because that does lead to... It leads to the issues of, you know, team morale, uh, the culture that the team is trying to cultivate, you know, with the young team that they have. Um, But, uh, you know, I could see at least why in their minds it might not be a bad idea for them to stick it out with Adam Gase. Granted, I, I really doubt this is the long play that the Johnsons are going for. I... I'll be honest, I don't think they're that creative. I think they just fucking suck, and this is just the natural uh, consequence of that. Is this them fucking hanging around, waiting for something to happen, just too scared to make a decision. So, I I think if you are out there propagating the idea that the Jets should are actively trying to or should hang on to Adam Gase so that they can secure the number one pick in the draft. You're a fucking idiot. You're 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 irreconcilably stupid. Um, because for one thing, you're assuming rational actors, which is the stupidest thing you can do. <laughs> the largest like, economic fallacy in history. Huh? The largest economic yeah. fallacy yeah. in history is assuming everyone fucking knows what they're doing. Literally, like, Econ 101 is like, hey, this is the models that they make very simplistically, assuming everyone does the thing that you would expect a common sense person to do. But we know no one does that, so here's the, here's the model that shows you the average fucking moron's decision-making because it's closer to what actually is, would likely to happen. So if you were to tell me that for a fact the Jets were going to get rid of Sam Darnold and had every intention of taking Trevor Lawrence, I'd say, yeah, let's lose as many games as possible. And even in that reality, I still wouldn't want to hang on to Adam Gates for the morality reasons that you brought forward. Because who the, what free agent is ever going to come here if the ownership is willing to dick over an entire world roster of players just to get a higher draft pick? Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying tanking is it doesn't have its value. Of course it has value. But teams usually do it by like getting rid of their good players so they're starting bad players. Not I by guess. forcing the entire roster to like succumb to the pathetic embarrassment of being on this team for, for six months. Alright, here's the fallacy I think you're falling under is you think that team culture is what's keeping free agents from signing with you know with the Jets. It's the Jets keeping free agents from signing with the Jets. Um and I don't think the culture of, you know, Adam Gase's tenure, whatever that culture could be considered I don't think that's what's keeping people away because I don't think there's any improving what we're at already. I think if you do bring in a a near-perfect prospect like Trevor Lawrence and you bring in a head coach that has some semblance of 
ability when it comes to calling offensive plays and building a team. Any semblance of that, which I think getting Trevor Lawrence would almost ensure you get one of them, whether it be Greg Roman, um, uh, Eric Bieniemy from the Chiefs, what have you. One of the guys, you know, maybe Lincoln Riley finally makes the jump from college. It doesn't matter because I think that culture will reinvent itself when you reinvent the Jets. And I think Trevor Lawrence is enough to nearly do that. Trevor Lawrence, a new coach, that would be what brings in free agents. And right now, the Jets can't rely on using free agent acquisitions to build, rebuild this team. It has to be through the draft, which is what you know ensuring high draft picks will do. It will ensure that there is talented players on this team because you have higher draft picks, all that that goes with it. Um, and I think that in turn will lead to these free agents signing with the Jets. So I'm not saying you're wrong because you very well, you know, could be spot on with how these go down. I'm just saying there's other options that, you know, it, it could be, it could work out that way. I don't know. My, my main point is why would someone who has options go to the Jets? They wouldn't. And that, that's what I'm saying. If Adam Gase will leave, whether it's this year, next year, or the year after, Adam Gase will be gone. My point is, why would you, as an ownership group, look at the player? Like, every, every, every big-ticket free agent is going to look at the Le'Veon Bell situation with the Jets and cringe. Because here's a guy who was the best at his position for a long time, who was able to get a deal with this team, and was treated so poorly that not only did his productive cliff, he ended up having to get cut because he wasn't even trading value there. And the team picked the coach that fucked him over the player. And that isn't necessarily an Adam Gase decision because the ownership group, that is the Johnsons, could have fired Adam Gase and taken that any control he might have had over the situation out of, out of his hands. That's what I'm talking about. There's a reason players are willing to go to the Patriots for less money because the Patriots are good and they'll win and they'll use you appropriately. They'll make the most out of your skill set and you can turn that time and production into a bigger payday down the road. And I definitely get that. I get that. I do that. You know, players want to go to good teams. The Jets do not have that you know, situation where players want to come play in New York, but I don't think holding on to Adam Gase for 11 more games, uh, I don't know how many games the Jets have played, 12, 11 more games, is going to be a difference maker for those free agents. The damage is done. It's really now the certainty of, hey, let's hold on to Adam Gase, we'll get Trevor Lawrence, we'll actually be able to have a committed plan for this rebuild. Well, and again, I don't you're know making, you're, you're if still like making bringing... the assumption that that's the plan, and that's the part that I'm saying makes this that's well, a bad it... position to have is any type of assumption of rational acting. I well, would much rather the argument about whether or not 
this is a possible plan? No. Not whether or not it's the Johnson's actual plan? No. Okay. Well, then we have been arguing two different points. My point with the Jets is there is no reason to hang on to Adam Gates. Because, one, if you're planning on losing games, is this team good enough to win a lot of games? Do you need Adam Gates to be ruining this team right now? This is a bad team. They'll, they will lose games. I guarantee you, this team's not winning a lot of games. But at that and point, two, it's, not, it's not about losing a lot of games, which the Jets, again, most certainly will. It's about losing the most games. I understand. It's not, a, it's not about point, I would, doing... I would, I would also argue if the Jets really wanted to, they have enough draft capital to trade their way up, up as well. I, I uh, not the have, first overall pick. And at the same time, I I just this also involves you saying we're moving on from Sam Darnold, and there's a villain conversation with that which has merits on both sides, and there's also the conversation about oh, what has he shown me this year? And if you keep Adam Gase, he's never going to show you anything. I'm not saying it's by any means likely that getting rid of Adam Gates would lead to a Sam Darnold revolution where he, you know, throws for 3,000 yards uh, in, in, in the, the last handful of games or some shit like that. You know, averages 300 yards a game for the next 10 games. Throws 20 touchdowns, like two interceptions, no fumbles, blah, blah, blah. But at least you know what you had. I think Sam Darnold could put up near MVP level numbers and it would still be worth taking Trevor Lawrence and trading Sam Darnold. Sam Darnold putting up MVP numbers would be great for the Jets because they now have significant, you know, leverage when they trade him. But I mean Trevor Lawrence is such a fantastic prospect, such a near-perfect prospect that you're going to have under team control and, you know, controlled salary for five years, whereas you'll have Sam Darnold for one. MVP-level Sam Darnold for one year versus Trevor Lawrence cost-controlled for five is a is a tough decision. Because, you know, on one hand, MVP-level Sam Darnold is playing at an MVP level now. And you can see it on the field, but you don't know whether that's going to be the Sam Darnold that comes back next year, that comes back and plays with, you know, whatever system gets put in place, whatever coach gets hired, whatever motivation he will have after signing a, a giant contract. You have no idea. But it's a lot less uncertainty than, you know, a guy, you know, a rookie quarterback coming in. But I, I don't think the uncertainty with Trevor Lawrence is enough to warrant giving up all those years of team control. And that brings me to my next point is that uh, at what point is top ranking a quarterback meaningful? When it's this quarterback it is. If this was last year, 
if this was oh last year's a not the best example because Joe Burrow is a, an excellent prospect, but Trevor Lawrence, you know, by all accounts that I've heard from actual scouts in the industry, from you know executives in the industry, from from everyone who knows their stuff is worth their salt and has watched Trevor Lawrence and scouted Trevor Lawrence say he is just as good, if not better than Andrew Luck was as a prospect. And he was the golden boy. He was the best since John Elway. And to have him be in that. I, I have a new level of skepticism for highly touted. Um, Baker Mayfield hasn't turned out. Sam Darnold hasn't, hasn't turned out. The jury's out on Joe Burrow, but I, I'm not going to sit here and tell you he's doing well. Um, Mitch Trubisky didn't turn out. Um, Carson Wentz didn't turn out. Jared Goff didn't turn out. Kyler Murray's yeah, doing okay. Jared Goff is doing all right. You know, Joe Burrow's playing very well. Jared Goff is playing okay. Carson Wentz, you know, was playing well. And then nobody in the world knows what's what's happened with him. But you're viewing the the angle you're looking at this from is top quarterback in the class, not top quarterback in the past ten classes. So you know each year it's going to fluctuate how good the top prospect is going to be. You know it's going to happen like that every year. The class with Daniel Jones, Dwayne Haskins, that was a terrible quarterback class. Tua Tungo-Vailoa, Joe Burrow is a really good one, you know. And it, it comes and goes. The, like the, the skill level of the top prospect goes up and down. And everything that we've seen, even a guy like Joe Burrow, who was a super high-ranked prospect, one of the top guys I've seen since I've you know started getting into scouting, he came out and he only had a year and a half of truly great film. A year of truly great film. Another year of pretty good film. But a guy like Trevor Lawrence has had exceptional film for three straight years now. And it's not like he came out of nowhere. It's not like he started bad and has been working his way up. He came to Clemson as an 18-year-old true freshman quarterback and has been the number one overall draft pick for this class in Penn since then. It's just that level of uh, consistency is so difficult to find in prospects, especially when the consistency is that of the best player at the position. I, I, I understand conceptually what you were saying and i i it, it's all gut feeling at this point let, all right you know what let me ask you and, but trust me trust me i get the skepticism i do let me ask it to you this way and this is this is a little bit of an unfair argument on, on my end but uh is trevor if you put trevor lawrence on this team this jets team are the jets winning if you put just Trevor Lawrence on this team, nothing else, all else held constant, the team is probably going to win four games, five games maybe. Maybe. 
if you put Trevor Lawrence on this team and you are able to get some, you know, offensive skill position players, if you're able to get, you know, a piece or two at offensive line in the draft next year. If you're able to build a content, you know, this is the Colts from 2012, 2013, uh, 2011, maybe. I don't know. Whenever they drafted Andrew Luck, they won, like, what, one game? They didn't win a single game, whatever it was. It was bad. And they were able to build around a, a really great quarterback. I'll buy, you know, poorly to start, for sure. But they went to the playoffs. And that's the same potential that, you know, this Jets team has is it's not going to be perfect if they don't do it well. But even him alone, just Trevor Lawrence, enough to win this team games, which is more than I think can be said about Sam Darnold. Right. Now, what you just said is what Jets fans have been saying about the Jets for the last, oh, man. Ever. Since Gene. No Smith, probably. That'd be my guess. But at, definitely in the entirety of the Sam Darnold era. A, if you get some offensive line guys, you put some, get a wide receiver or two. The Jets have had like top, top three cap space in the NFL for like eight seasons. Correct. Like, like, like we're, we're there. If, if the Jets wanted to do it. And this is what I'm saying about the organization is bad and you should try to actually convey some level of competency to not just the players on your team, but the players on other team, because the Jets aren't shy of money. We've got a fuck ton of it. We've had a fuck ton of it. And no, no one's here. No one. Yeah. And the it's... guy that came here, we damn near basically ran off the team. Think about how many offensive linemen were rumored to go to the Jets and then how many actually signed here. Not a lot. We had to pull Connor McGovern out of retirement. It's not good. No one wants to be here. And no one wants to be here because this team is a fucking mess. And it's not just Adam Gase. It's the ownership and the way they run this fucking team. And that's what I'm saying about rational actors. Yeah, if you put, if you say we're going to get rid of Sam Darnold, we're going to lose a bunch of games, so we can draft Trevor Lawrence, use our cap money to get some offensive linemen, to get some offensive weapons, use hit on half of our draft picks, then we'll be set. Yeah, we've been the Jets fans have been saying that for like seriously like six years. It's been ridiculous, and it's not happening. I so, can't solve been, all of your problems with coaching and player decisions. At some point, the owners are going to have to figure their shit out too. And that's, and that's what I'm saying. That's why I don't want to just commit to losing for the sake. Like, if this was the Steelers, yeah, lose the games. You've got good, you've got good leadership. You've got great player development. Like, the pieces of your organization that make an organization good long-term are there for the Steelers. And they'll take a season of losses to get a Trevor Lawrence-type guy and then move on and be good again. Of course they will. When have the Jets ever done that? Mark Sanchez? Uh, I don't know. Like, that's, that's what I'm saying. 
Like, I don't want you to sit there. I don't want, not you, literally, like the Royal you, to sit there and tell me the Jets got to lose their, their bunch of games so they can get this guy. Well, we've been hearing about this guy, this this guy, whoever this guy is, forever. It's not going to, nothing that ownership gets out of its own ass and wants to win games in part just to see what the hell they have, and they won't do it. So I want to sit here and be like, yeah, like having Trevor Lawrence. Honestly, if we got to draft day and the Jets are the first overall pick, I'm going to be fucking pumped about Trevor Lawrence. I'm not going to sit here and tell you I don't want Trevor Lawrence. If the Jets have the first overall pick in the draft, fuck yeah, lay that white boy on me. Give, give it to me. I'm ready. I don't, I'll, I'll move on from Sam Darrell in the fucking heartbeat. I don't give a shit. This is, this is a business. But it, it seems so bereft of history with, with this franchise to be like, yeah, they'll do the right thing. No, they won't. It's like the, the Johnson brothers get off on doing the wrong thing. They love it. It's in their <laughs> DNA. Oh, man. Gary V buying this team. Oof. That would do wonders for morale and how many free agents you'd be able to get to come to this team. Dude, seriously. Yeah, it, it, it's it's one of those things where it's like, like uh, you know, you're never, it's like umping in a game. The good umps, you for, it doesn't even factor into your mind that they're there. Bad umps, oh boy, do you know their names. And uh, same thing with owners. Same thing with owners, man. I, I do not remember the name of the man who owns the Dodgers. I have no idea who, what that man's name is. But I bet he's doing. Uh, Vince Kelly. He might as well. Um, but like he's doing a he's doing a great job. We know who owns the Pirates. Oh. You know. Unfortunately, yeah. We know who owns the Angels. We know those names. Ah, uh, we do. That's, all right, so that, that's, that's enough Jets talk for today. Let's talk about uh, former Jet. <laughs> I was waiting for that uh, transition. Hey, it's yeah, man. Let's talk about Ryan Fitzpatrick, aka Fitzmagic, aka the Amish rifle, apparently. Um, He's he got that. Uh, no, but he is white with a beard, and that is close enough. Um, so he has been benched. He, he has played six games in Miami. Started six games in Miami this season. He's got a completion percent of seventy-one, which is a career high. Uh, he's got 1,500 yards so, so far, which is more than he had in six games in Tampa in 2017. By God, I forgot he was in Tampa in 2017. Um, and uh, he's got 10 touchdowns on seven interceptions. Um, he's, he's having to be fair, is not awful. No. It's not um, good. It's not awful. Oh, it is not good. It's better than Daniel Jones. Um, and he's got a QB rate. Of 95, which again, all things considered, this is this is a tidy season, yeah. but it is two a time. And Ryan Fitzpatrick ex- expressed his displeasure in the benching. Um, so let's take it one step at a time. Uh, the Dolphins, as it stands right now, are second in their division at three and three, which means, I guess, because they're only one game back of the Bills, who are sitting. At four and two, the division title is in play for them so far into the season. Um, which really, I, it's in play for everybody but the Jets. You know, Bills, Dolphins. And the gap between the Bills and, and the Patriots, who are sitting at third, is a game and a half. Um, so it's oh it's, my god! What? I just realized that, like, when you said the Dolphins are in second, my first thought was 
man, I can't believe the Bills are doing that bad. I had no idea. And then I remembered the Patriots aren't good anymore. It's like an well, epiphany I just had. Oh, God damn. We will get there. Um, uh, Patriots, third in division, but second in point differential. Um, Dolphins, first in point. So the Dolphins are the only team in this division that have a, have a positive point differential at plus 47. Next closest is the Pats at negative one, then the Bills at negative 12, and the Jets at negative 110. Uh, which, if you're saying, wow, that's really bad, yeah, it's the worst in the NFL, square up. Um, so, if anything, I would expect the regression from the Bills that I guess we're currently seeing as the, this point differential slowly slides into becoming worse and worse. But anyway, the division is, is in play for them, and they're definitely in a wild card hunt. I know we're only six games, six weeks into the season, so I might feel a little bit silly saying some of this stuff when we're talking about the difference between one to two games, but we're there. Um, so the timing of this seems a bit suspect. Not suspect, but just a little bit, a little bit odd. Like when, when the Giants benched Eli for Daniel Jones, it was clear that the Giants were not winning anything that season. They gave it their best shot with, their sh- with, what, with the known quantity that is Eli Manning, and then they went to the young guy just to get a feel for him, break him into the NFL, and get used to being on a bad team. Uh, with this, granted, to a <laughs> project that Daniel Jones. But um, this is not the same. The, the Dolphins are actually winning games here and there. So, Corbin, what do you think of the decision? Uh, I, you know, I haven't really thought terribly hard on it. Just what, you know, I've been seeing, at, you know, at surface level. And, and while I haven't really been watching it too much of the Dolphins this year, I do kind of agree with the idea that, you know, you don't, pull a horse mid-rate, or whatever the idiom is, where it's like, hey, Ryan Fitzpatrick's doing pretty all right. He's winning your games. That's what's most important. Why switch up a good thing? But on the other hand, your star rookie quarterback, who's, you know, a tremendous prospect in his own right, is finally healthy. He got a little bit, bit of taste of, you know, game action under his belt. You want to see what he can do. And I kind of, you know, completely am on board with the idea of, hey, this guy's ready. Uh, You know, the team thinks he's ready. He's healthy. The team is performing well. Let's get him in there. Let's see what he's got because he's the future and, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick is not. And I get it. So the more I think about it, the more okay with and the more I agree with the idea of benching Ryan Fitzpatrick for Tua Tungabailoa. I'm actually going to take it even a step farther and say that this was exactly, this is time-wise what they were going to do, whether they were, ah, maybe 6-0 and would be a different conversation, but whether they were at like 5-1 and or 0-6. Um, because this week, week 7, is the Dolphins' bye week. Um, and then they're home against L.A. So if you were going to change quarterbacks and give Tua extra time to get um, first-team reps and give him some time to sit on the bench and get used to things, and then, hey, hey let's throw him into a game that we're winning by a lot um, against the Jets, which is exactly what they did, this lines Absolutely. up willing to bet that Dolphins' top brass said before the season started, week six, after week six, 
we're going from Fitz to Tua. And this is it. Yeah. And, and I think it's a good decision for all the reasons you laid out pretty much. Um, you know, you have to do it eventually. This is the future. If, if, if Tua doesn't pan out, you need to know that. And if right. Tua's good, you need to know that. Because you getting through the season with Ryan Fitzpatrick and maybe ultimately going anywhere between 8-8, eight and 9-7, eight, even 10-6, and six and making the playoffs once, that is a great season that does not tell you anything about next year. And Absolutely. if there's anything that's concerned about with Tua Tagovailoa, it is, what's he going to look like next year? And the only way to really get a good picture of that is by having him play this year. So, like, you had to do it eventually. Um, and if the kid really struggles for, you know, three, four weeks, if you needed to, if you're still in, in a hunt, all right, go back to Fitzpatrick. He'll get it. Everyone needs time off. If the kid's struggling, you know, you, you see it. But I think this is the right move. Um, yeah, I honestly didn't even know that it was their bye week this week. But that, you know, is all the more reason to do it. That that makes a lot of sense. You know, obviously starting a rookie quarterback against, you know, the Rams isn't the best scenario. You know, a, a guy coming off injury with, you know, an injury history, going up against Aaron Donald in his first start, not ideal. Two weeks of preparation. Absolutely a good start. And you know what? The Dolphins have been rebuilding and rebuilding in a fairly new, unique, but at the same time, very effective way, uh, draft value-wise. I think this is the smart decision. Like you said, figuring out what you got. Obviously, you know, one season for a, a, a top pick like Tua isn't going to be make or break. But it'll tell you, it'll give you information you need to know about how you need to build around this team for next year. And I do think overall, I don't know if uh, if I'd want Tua to start, you know, to be my playoff starting quarterback right now. But there's only one way to find out if you are going to push for the playoffs, whether or not he could start for you uh, there, and that's by getting him playing time. Yeah, 100%. Um, what do you think about Ryan Fitzpatrick's response to all of it? Uh, I, I thought it was heartbreaking. You know, it, it's I respect the hell out of Ryan Fitzpatrick. Um, I really do enjoy, you know, watching him play and the excitement he brings um, to a team when he's so deep into his career and the things he said about, you know, not knowing if that was the last game he was ever going to play in him feeling like this was the first team he thought of as, you know, his team since uh, when he was on the bills back in, I want to say like 2010, um, you know, it, it's tough because a guy like that, I don't want to say deserves better because it's a situation he knew he was going to be in, what have you. But you will, you. I always hope for the best for him, and you know, I, I wish he could have gone out on more agreeable terms. Yeah, he's he's always come across as being just a stellar dude when he was with the Jets, when he was with Tampa, and even before all that. Um, one of his main quotes uh, is, "Quote my heart." just hurt all day it was heartbreaking for me i've been a starter 
I've been benched all kinds of different ways, but this one just really more so than any of them. I just felt fully committed and invested and felt like it was my team. Now, I didn't hear his actual quote, so I don't know the tone of it. Um, did you actually like watch any video or anything? I did. It was it was retrospective. It was, you know, remorseful. Not remorseful, but it was sad. It was him, you know, kind of really facing the reality of it and just being, you know, down in the dumps about being fired. You know, the, the one that really stuck out to me the most was, hey, I, you know, just got fired from my job and then had to sit next to the guy that fired me and the guy that's replacing me for a meeting for four hours. And you know what? It doesn't matter what field you're in, you know, playing the NFL, making the money he's making. That's still a tough situation. And I, you know, it, I get why he's feeling the way he is. I don't agree with the hate that he's getting about, you know, oh, boo-hoo, you're rich. Oh, boo-hoo, you knew what was going to happen. You knew this was coming. It doesn't matter. Like, it's it's still a tough situation to be in. Yeah, that that's exactly what I was going to bring up, is that I've been seeing a lot of people on Twitter and being like, oh, like, you know, he, he acknowledged he was going to get benched. He knew he was going to get benched. We all knew he was going to get benched. Like, this takes back all the nice things he said about Tua. And it's like, no, it doesn't, man. Like, yeah. you can go into a, a, like, ever heard of a temp? Those people still feel bad when they get told they don't go to that job anymore. Like, if you have to stop working, it sucks for any reason. Unless, I don't know, you retire. And even then, I know people who retire and aren't thrilled about it. But, like, like yeah, the dude, he, he didn't say anything wrong. It's not like he's out there saying, like, can't believe I got benched for this schmuck. You know, it's not like he's out mm-hmm. there saying, like, I can't believe I'm getting benched for some stupid lefty or some weird shit. Yeah. You know? And it, it's, it's Ryan Fitzpatrick of all people. You know he is going to be there supporting Tua every snap, every rep. Yeah. And I'd much rather get this from players than anything else. Like when Eli got benched for Daniel Jones, I bet this is how he felt, but to a much larger degree um, since he was the I face of the franchise probably. and never missed a game. Um, I I watched the man stand at his locker and cry in front of all of New York media because he lost his job. Yeah, and I want to hear that actual emotion from him. Um, I I I think all of us of, of our generation, Corwin and 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 younger, uh, are just tired of hearing the usual rigmarole that that players give in in you know post game news conferences or in reactionary news conferences where you know it's just all the same old platitudes you always hear i'd rather hear this you know these people are these are people i'm glad ryan fitzpatrick gave him gave us his actual emotions on the on the matter because i i can sympathize with that now i i've always liked ryan fitzpatrick and this doesn't change anything I, I'm happy that he was able to have a platform to express how he felt. And I bet over this next, uh, I guess, two weeks is the bye week. He'll be there for two of the way he's been there for every other quarterback he's had. Mm-hmm. So. You want to yeah. talk about other former Jets? Yeah, yeah. Le'Veon Bell is officially <laughs> with the uh, the Kansas City, Kansas City Chiefs. Um. He has not played a game yet. His first game will be upcoming this this next week, as the uh, 
as the Kansas City Chiefs uh, face off against. I had it up. All right. So this is a hard pivot in the show. Uh, if if it sounds different auditorily, it's because mid sentence we had a technical difficulty. It is now very late here. Um, as we approach nine o'clock, or sorry, ten o'clock, and we started trying to record this around like eight eight thirty, and got marred with technical difficulties at the top of the show. But anyway, here we are, and I'm <laughs> Corin and I are hoping sincerely that we don't have to do this anymore. Um, anyway, this is a this is a reminder to both myself because I forgot, and to Josh, I have to be at a job at like six a.m. tomorrow. I just for totally remember that it's just a painful memory yeah life is pain and and then we die is pain uh so anyway we're just gonna we're just gonna roll with this as much as we can um this ends up being short because at this point i don't think corwin nor i know how long we've been recording for um but we both wanted to end uh (laughs) so let's talk briefly about the kansas city chiefs acquisition of Le'Veon bell and then peace out of here sound good to you Sounds bueno. All right. So, um, as it stands right now, the Chiefs' leading rusher is Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, who's been wonderful for them. He's 505 yards on the season, not counting quarterback Patrick Mahomes. Um, how many yards do you think the next running back has? For- now recording. Oh, lovely. How how many yards do you think the next running back has for the Chiefs? Oh, so what? Clyde has what? 500-something, we said? 505. Uh, I don't know, 130? No, 61. Wow, I went low, and I am still surprised. Darrell um, Williams has 61. And then the, the rusher I mean, after him that has so fourth most on the team is held by Tyreek Hill with 54. So it's it's a huge drop-off from 505 for our non-quarterback offensive weapons. I mean, I say that's not good, but at the end of the day, like running back is a position where one guy can be a bell cow and have 90% of the production, 90% of the carries, and still be a good running back. Look at a guy like Zeke or DeMarco Murray back in the day or Derrick Henry, you know. Still, that being said, wow, the Chiefs are in a position where they have a one two punch of a Clyde Edwards Hilaire and. Le'Veon Bell, who, by all means, are similar type backs who both are extremely patient and just excellent behind the line of scrimmage, excellent with their lateral movement. These two are going to be fucking nuts, and I think Clyde Edwards-Hilaire could actually learn a thing or two from Bell while he's there and get even better. So I am all about this signing, if that was a part of the question you asked me like 35 minutes ago. Uh. I yeah I don't remember if it was either. Honestly, at this point, I don't. If Bell can re- return to seventy five percent of form from the Steelers, it's just a good signing for like every team in the mm-hmm. NFL that's not the Jets. So, yeah, I mean, giving Mahomes another weapon in general, great idea. Another run game option, which apparently they could use more of to at least some capacity. Cool idea and. uh giving 
And that weapon being someone who's flexible in terms of their catch ability, block ability, and actual run ability, like Le'Veon is, is just so much fun. Uh, this it's mm-hmm. it's just it, the 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 Chiefs are doing what like the Rams did, but without having to spend all the money. <laughs> and and having a by also having a just a better quarterback. Helps. Yeah. This Helps also just goes to show how just fake the cap, uh, the hard cap is, the salary cap is, because you can make space. You can be the best team in the NFL with, you know, like $80,000 worth of cap space going into the season, and then halfway through the year sign fucking Le'Veon Bell off, uh, you know, waivers. Yeah. Yeah, it's a, it, it's all it's all imaginary. None of it none of it's real, man. Mm-hmm. None of it's real. Not a word. Everyone's just real. playing Monopoly. What piece are you? Uh I have no idea. Maybe like the hat. No, that's too nice. Maybe like the shoe. I feel like the shoe today. I'm feeling very thimbleish. Ooh, good call, good call. Yeah. Um all right, two two quick Two quick guys, and then we'll 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 dip out of here. I know that's what I said after the Chiefs, but just to make all this rigmarole of us having tried to figure out this setup worth it, let's just uh, give it two more quick points. Um, and are Four. you worried uh, with two parts? Are you worried the Bills have lost two games straight? They've gone four and zero, and now they are four and two. Um, are you worried? No, because I think. With the division they're in, you know, even with Tua coming in to start the Dolphins, I just don't see how they could not win the division. I think they pretty much have that in hand. Their defense is still excellent and it's going to win them ball games. I think the Bills are fun. Yeah, Obviously, good. you know, I, I think they're regressing to the mean of what they actually are. I, you know, was very surprised they started. 3-0, 4-0, it off the year. So I think this is more of a, a reality situation. Plus, I'm pretty sure they played two good teams, so I don't think they did. should be worried. Yeah, they did. This this week they played the Jets. Um, are you worried the uh, Patriots are 2-3 and three with a losing record? Are you worried? Uh, worried? Yeah, I'd be worried if I was a Pats fan. Am I surprised? No, not at all. Um, I mean, yeah, Cam Newton signing was huge. You know, that was a lot for the team. But at the end of the day, I mean, their team was gutted from last year. I just, I don't see how Pats fans expected Cam Newton to come in and, you know, put the team on his fairly broken back and carry them to play out Tom Brady did when they have no receiving options, no rushing options, uh, not that great offensive line, uh, uh, empty defense. There's a lot there. There's a lot of reasons why this team was not going to live up to the wild expectations they somehow still had. And I think we're just seeing that. All right. Uh, all right. I say, I say we call it there, unless you have anything else you really want to bring up right now. Okay. All right. Well, if you uh, if you want to follow the show on Twitter, you can do so at Juicing Pod. If you want his over email, you can do so at Juicing Numbers at gmail.com. And until 
Monday. Y'all have a good one. Bye.